1: Hi everybody it's Henrik here from Empire. We've got our new album Relentless coming out on the 31st of March. Please go and check it out. You're listening to the book Rock
2: Jacar.
0: Welcome back everyone. It is Jay Scott. It is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening once again. I always appreciate whenever you do give the Hook Rocks a listen and uh, thank you for following us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't already, please follow us on all those social media platforms. And also we are part of the Pantheon podcast network. So please go follow them, pantheonpodcast.com. They've got great music-related podcast. My friends Tom and Zeus from the KISS podcast, shout-out Loudcast, is on there, as well as many others. So uh, follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode of The Hook Rocks right to your door. We've had some awesome episodes over the last month, really since the start of the year. We just had Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen on the show um, talking about Cheap Trick and talking Rock and vodka with Andy Rio, the CEO of rock and vodka. So check that out. That was a great conversation. Rick Nielsen talks about when he sold Jeff Beck a Gibson Les Paul. That in itself is a reason to tune in. So check that out. And also check out the episode we did about Live Nation and Ticketmaster and the monopoly that exists in live entertainment and what they do and how they. Manipulate ticket prices. It's a really interesting topic with Christy and Eagle. We also did a review with a buddy guy, Leilani Kilgore Show. We welcomed Richie Kotzen to the podcast. We had uh Fastest Land Animal on the New Music Spotlight, and we began the year with our top albums of 2022. So check that out. We do that every year. Everybody loves it. So uh, we always talk new music. There's a lot of albums on there, a lot of new music that's out there, a lot of new bands. That maybe you haven't heard of. So go check out that top albums of 2022 episode. It's two parts and hopefully you'll find something new that connects with you and that you love to listen to. And I love listening to this next guest new album that just came out in January. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, he returns with just a powerhouse of an album. It is the self titled Jared James Nichols album released. The follow-up from Black Magic in 2017. It's been a while since he's put out something new physically. He did an EP that was a digital release a couple of years ago, and uh, we're
2: welcoming him back to the Hook Rocks, and that's Jared James Nichols, man. What's up, dude? Thank you so much for having me, brother. This is great. I'm glad to be back. Uh, feeling great, 2023. Let's go.
0: I had the pleasure of seeing you uh, a couple weeks ago in Wisconsin. And yes. disappointed I didn't get to see Bourbon House because the weather was in, in, insanely ridiculous. That was
2: terrible that night. I, that, I could not believe it. Even growing up in Wisconsin, you know, I feel like I've seen it all. That was a rough night of snow.
0: It was. And it was rough to drive in. But it was worth it because I saw a great rock and roll show. Like I said, I was disappointed okay. to get a chance to see Bourbon House, who I absolutely love. Great. Another band from Wisconsin. And, uh, dude, you blew me away. It was the first Thank time brother. I had a chance to see you because I originally had tickets to see you with Georgia Thunderbolts, but you broke your arm. So you had. Yeah, to exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, got a chance to see you, man. And my mouth dropped about a dozen times. It was absolutely phenomenal. Oh. Dude, your tone, your playing was great. Um, my son was blown away. Uh, just a great, magical show, man. Thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you, brother. I felt like, um, you know, it's it's really, really, this might sound funny, but like, I know that's your first time seeing me, but I feel like, you know, as a musician, you go through all these chapters and where you're, where you're finding me and where you're seeing me now is kind of a funny place because I feel like now it's like, I'm really finding my lane and finding, especially in the live environment with this new record, playing it live top to bottom. There's just a different intensity. There's a different enthusiasm moving forward. So I'm really glad that you got to see this show. I'm I'm super happy that you enjoyed it.
0: I'm really glad that I got to see you perform all the songs on the album. Because that's rare in itself. Usually bands do that when they're doing shows like this, where they're showcasing the new music. But once you start touring, you probably play half the album, maybe a little bit more than half, but you don't really get the full scope of the music. And it was really cool to see that. You play that and uh really enjoyed hearing that. So thank you for, for doing that.
2: Of course, man. It's it's cool too, because like like we you were saying before, you know, I hadn't released a record since 2017, which feels like it was forever ago. So when we went in with the mindset for this record, I wanted to have a record that served as like the live menu for the show. I wanted it to be like legit. We can start from the top and go all the way to the bottom and take the listener on whatever journey we're going to take them on that night through these songs. So for me, it was like, it was really cool to make an album that had a flow to it and to play that live. It's, it's really, really fun.
0: You mentioned chapters in a career in in music and an artist has chapters. I always use the term like a diary entry, you know, with, with, with the music. And when you look back at that diary entry and you see the music and you, and you can kind of feel what that artist was going through when you talk about this, I and mean, I mean, as you just explained, what does that mean? Like, where does where does this music start with the chapter, and where does the previous chapter end?
2: It's funny because this this chapter started March fourteenth, twenty twenty. Like, as funny as this is, I was I was packing today because I'm leaving tomorrow for Europe. Right? I went and grabbed my passport. The first time I've had to grab it since March 14th, 2020, when I came home. We were in uh Switzerland. We were on our first headline Europe run. It was going great. And uh like everyone, we got sidelined, sent back home. We were thinking it was only going to be a few weeks. But I quickly found out that I wasn't going anywhere. So this chapter truly began writing these songs kind of out of something for me to do to like help with my anxiety when I got home at that time. So these songs started to come out, songs like Skin and Bone, Bad roots. I was writing these songs because I just needed like some sort of coping mechanism playing guitar. The chapter that it kind of left off of was this really safe spot I felt like I was at. It was almost like I was touring, I was playing songs and music that I loved. I, I don't want to say I was going through the motions, but I was I was just kind of in a in a hamster wheel. I was feeling comfortable doing what I was doing. I thought to myself, You know, in due time, I'll get here, I'll get there. I was just kind of seeing what was right in front of me with this this newer chapter. It was almost like I took a step back out of the past eight years of touring and building up, and I said to myself, who not who do I want to be, but where do I want to go as an artist, not only as a guitar player but as a songwriter, as a a sonic force. What do I want to do?' It was the first time in forever I had those feelings. So I really tried to dig deep and say, you know, do I, do I want to hone down that blues road? Do I just want to do the strict blues rock thing? But I just kept feeling like I, I had more to say. So kind of, you know, this chapter, it it's kind of me opening up a lot more as a musician, as an artist, I feel as if I'm able to give a little bit more shades of all of the sides of me as an artist, which I feel like is really cool. And also, it's the most reckless and the most creative I feel like I've ever been.
0: When you talk about comfort, how, let's talk about the pros and cons of that. How positive is it for an artist to feel comfort? And then also, what's the negative side of feeling comfort?
2: Great question. So the, I feel like the positives of it are, are just that. It's like, you're almost like everything's okay. It's like, it's like you're, you're comfortable enough in your own skin where you said, okay, I've been through this. I've gotten to this point and yeah, I could really push myself out on a limb, but I'm okay here. I feel, I feel like I have my bearings. I feel like I have a grasp at my career, playing shows, getting my name out there. But, Kind of that double-edged sword, like you said, because it's like when you get comfortable in a relationship, your standards, whether you know it or not, they start to kind of slip a little and you start to say, oh, it's okay. I'll, you know, I'll get back up there. You know, maybe you have a bad show or, you know, you're not playing as maybe inspired as you once were. You say, oh, it's just, you know, I wasn't feeling it tonight. And I understand everyone goes through that as, you know, artists, but when you are put in a stressful situation, I think like anything in life where it's almost as if your back's against the wall. It's like with, with, with the new music for me and kind of pushing myself even harder to say, no, Jared, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go out. And you're going to figure this out. It gave me this, this sense of like almost like a new perspective, a new lease on everything that I've done. So it was almost like I stripped away this like comfort zone of, of going, Yeah, I know I can go here. I can tour here. I can play these songs. You know, Jared, the guitar guy, we can do this. With this record, it was more like, no, man, go out on a limb and go truly try and find yourself. And it was kind of scary too, because a lot of times, you know, making the record, I looked, I would look and say, am I, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right move or should I pull back here? Is this too heavy? Is this too, you know, like you start second guessing yourself as an artist, which I think is, Very easy to do because for me, it's like, I'm always thinking about this stuff. Like most creatives, you're always thinking about like, what am I going to write next? Or how do I make this better? Or how do I grow here? So being comfortable is a good thing. I think that's a good thing in life for people to have. But for this new chapter, I really wanted to push myself and see how far I could kind of go out on a limb and see if I could hang on.
0: How do you force that? Because- having comfort is, is nice, right? I mean, it's absolutely the stress is not there, but when you want to grow as an artist, you got to kind of force yourself out of it. How do you do that? Like, how do you say, you know what, I need to, I need to go on the edge a little bit. I need to get out there a little bit.
2: Great question. Again, it's for me, it was more like I kept looking at myself in the mirror and not literally looking in the mirror, but like I would think about all of these things that I told myself in the the past years of potentially where I wanted to be, what kind of music I wanted to write, how I wanted to be almost – how I wanted to, like, speak through this music. So one of the things I kept doing was there was a lot of times that I felt like when I'd be playing, I would get to a point and I'd say, okay, that's enough. You know, now it's like one of the ways I got to the next level was I just push myself through this plateau of saying like, this is as far as you're going to go. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to go even further. We're going to we're gonna try and extend this. And also tr- almost trying to not look at playing music. This isn't the right word, but not like a competition with myself, but more as an expressive tool. So when I pick up the guitar or when I go to write a song, I'm not there going, okay, um, I need to make sure that I I really make these people feel like Wow, he's a great guitar player. Wait to see what he's gonna play next. It's it's almost like I looked at it more as how to how do I express myself in a way that I never had before? And that was really hard to do because you get comfortable, you know, here's my show, here's what I do, but then all of a sudden it's like take all that, strip it away, go back to what is what is it I'm trying to say and try and bring that out in a new light.
0: It's kind of weird. It is. I mean, I mean, because you just think about anything in life that you do. I mean, if you get comfort, you get stagnant and yes. you you kind of more or less mail it in. And we all know, you know, uh, bands that have reached the heights of, of their popularity for years and been around for decades. When they kind of get into the back end of their career, it's very easy for them to mail it in. Very easy for them to be oh. really comfort because they're basically making an album as a tool for touring and playing these stadiums and all that stuff. That's a whole nother conversation, but as you as an artist that is still growing their audience, you know, and, and trying to, trying to, to find inspiration, it's, it's exciting to do that. It's dangerous. And it adds to that exciting element. You know, when, when do you know, Like you just said, you know, usually you'd stop, but then you just kept going. When do you know that you've squeezed all that? Squeeze the sponge where all the waters come out.
2: I've, I've, I've kind of felt like now that I'm playing these songs live, and like I'm seeing it through. Because like the the big hurdle, the first big hurdle was, I want to make a record that was made like my favorite records. I want to make a record basically live to tape. I don't want to use a computer. I don't want to use auto tune. I don't want to have it fixed later. I just want to play it as I was intended to play it, right? So that was like the first hurdle was like making the record. Then it was like, all right, the songs, make the record, see that through. And now it's like the vision of playing these songs live and being able to take what we did on that record and try and grow it, stretch it even more for the live show. So it's hard to say when I'll know yet, when I've completely squeezed it through. But my hope is that through this next year of touring and and really, you know, putting myself out there and just being uncomfortable in the best way possible, you know, touring, playing these songs night after night, they will continue to stretch and grow. And as an artist, I will be able to see growth within that. But then also maybe that that feeling will come in again of me being comfortable. And then I'll say, okay, where can I take it after this? And I also feel something that you said that's really important is I am still growing and I'm still growing my fan base, and I never wanted to be an artist that like shot themselves in the foot and said, "You know what this is the only lane I'm taking because i love I love all types of music too much, so it was important for me to make a record like this to just kind of open up the open up the whole box and to say there's a lot more color than you know one might assume to think."
0: Staying in that lane, like you said, has advantages and it has disadvantages. Just like being comfort and being uncomfortable. I mentioned before we got on that I was that Tyler Baker had said hello.
2: Yeah, because I was yeah. talking
0: to him, and oddly enough, we were having a conversation because they're working on a new album. The band Goodbye June, yeah, and we were talking about the sound that that's coming from that differs from the last album they just did, and he was talking about the approach they did. And, and my comment to him was, I love when a band does that. I love when a band tries to find growth, tries to yes. find something different. There's only one band. And I've said this several times on my podcast. There's only one band that can do it the same on every album. And that's ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we all an love them. We love them for it. Right. I mean, it, it works. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. and, uh, but I love when a band, and sometimes it doesn't always work. Sometimes you know there's 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 a step back, you know, and they've got to regroup, and that's great. I'd rather have an artist I love, like yourself or other bands, you know, take that chance and put themselves out there because, as a listener, that excites me just as much as it excites you creating. Because it's like, all right, what are you what are you doing now? So I appreciate that. And I think most. Fans appreciate that.
2: Well, going on with that, you know, there's, there is like a line, I feel like, and tell me your thought on this actually, because there's a lot of artists that I love that are up and coming or whatever. They'll put something out and I'm like, this is awesome. I love this vibe. But then all of a sudden they'll change genre or they'll change a little too far. And then I go, Oh, I hope they can reel it in a little bit. And then they don't reel it in. So that was always a kind of a thought in my head too, where I was like, I want to continue to push myself like no other, but also find my own path within the the music I love, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Instead I, of kind I think of a great point across. Right. Because you don't want to alienate fans with something completely different that doesn't even sound like you. You want to maintain right. your integrity of your sound, but also do things that are that are different a different approach a different way of phrasing on a guitar a different way of, of attacking the note um or the riff um you know i am not i i don't want to keep name dropping but i mentioned rick nielsen it. i, I yeah. mentioned rick nielsen at the beginning of the episode and he said something great in the interview that i just did with him that there's only 12 notes on a guitar right yeah i got you buddy. rock there you go
2: he gave <laughs> me this when i was at his house he goes here use that paperweight."
0: That's right. <laughs> Rick's great. Rick's great. But but he mentioned, you know, there's 12 notes on a guitar. And I've often talked about the limitations of a guitar, right? Like there's only a certain amount of notes, but it's up to the guitar player of how he approaches it, how he phrases it, how he plays it, the tone that he's that he's chasing and everything. And that's what makes guitar my favorite instrument because there's so much uniqueness that goes on with a limited instrument.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I was talking to someone this morning, actually. I was doing this. I was asked to do this thing about the Les Paul, right? Like through the generations and all these different players, like basically how I stayed inspired by the Les Paul. And the one thing that I kept saying was it's such a tried and true instrument. Like we can all picture a Les Paul in our head and it's for more or less hasn't changed in the past 70 years, 70 plus years. But there's something about the player, what they see, what they feel, what they're trying to speak through the instrument. And I think that's what's so cool about the guitar is I was, I was kind of saying this about Jeff Beck, but I never met Jeff. I never got to meet like Eddie Van Halen. I never got to meet these guys, but I feel like I knew them and I feel like I always had conversations with them because of the way they spoke through the guitar so I know this seems really weird, maybe, but like all my favorite guitar players, I feel like I know them because I hear their personality through their playing. And it's like, that's the the conversation I've had. So going back to Rick's point, yeah, the guitar is so cool because it's all about the player trying to chase that sound and chase that, get that like lightning in a bottle, get that spark. And that is the reason I think, too, moving forward, that the guitar will always be Such a huge piece of not only rock and roll, but just music in general, because it's such a human user friendly instrument that it's like there's something about it that nothing else can do.
0: When I hear guitar and I hear a player and you mentioned, you know, knowing the player, right? I enjoy when I feel what that person, that player's feeling and going because what you're surrounded by what period of of circumstance that you're having in life affects how you play affects the notes affects the bends affects all that stuff and and i love it when you 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 feel like you 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 know what a guitar player is going to play and what they're going to do and then they they there's this added layer or or the depth is deeper because yep. they're, they're, they're going through something, whether it's joy, happiness, sadness, whatever, anger. And I always, one of the things that I always say is out of something bad, something good happens. And when, you know, when an when a artist is feeling anger or sadness, I believe that their playing becomes so much better. Because of that feeling, because that emotion, because, man, they're 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 trying to speak and express themselves through the notes, through the plane. And it's a remarkable how you can tell if someone's playing sad, angry, happy, whatever it's it's you got to really listen. You got to really pick it up. But it's there.
2: Yeah, there's there's that's a great point. There are a lot of players that, that like I like certain records or certain recordings out of their career even, because I could tell, like, especially, I don't know what it is. I'm a sucker for early recordings when someone's really trying to break through. And when someone's really trying to say, you know, the past 10 years, 15, 20 years of their life, they're trying to get it out and express that to get to the next level. There's a hunger, there's like an urgency and it's a beautiful thing, man. Like I love like listening to early Stevie Ray Vaughan bootlegs. Because like you can hear him coming into his own early BB King, Albert King, all these guys, you can hear them finding what it is that later everyone obviously, you know, they got to the point and they were like, okay, this is who you are. But it's it's a beautiful thing to to hear players play with emotion. And I think that that's something that is oftentimes kind of looked past because a lot of people go, oh, whatever, you know, it's guitar, guitar blues guitar whatever but when someone's really putting what like you said happy sad mad furious pissed off whatever it is into the instrument and and if it's coming back out you can feel it and that's that is a, probably the most powerful thing that's the beauty of the
0: blues too um is the blues is is a, is a direct correlation of the emotion the player is feeling so you can hear 10 different versions of Sweet Home Chicago, yep. you know, whether it's the guys in the, the Blues Brothers band, whether it's Magic Sam, whoever, Willie Dixon, and they all sound different. It's the same song, but it's all about what they're feeling and what emotion they're going through when they're recording that song. And anyone, and I've said this before, anyone that t- says one of the most annoying things I ever hear is, oh, all blues sounds the same. It's like, no, it doesn't. Absolutely not. It, you can just hear the differences, the way they hit the string, the way they you know, hold the note, whatever it is. It's a different player. And, you know, blues is really the only form of music that allows the artist to have their emotion directly impact the tone of the instrument. Because, you know, pop music is so saturated in technology now. And you could say the same thing about rap and R and B. It's everything is digital and everything's on a computer. When you, when you play blues and you're influenced by blues, it's all about the feel. It's all about the emotion. Even if you're a technical player, right? I mean, there, there's, there's different types of players, you know? Um, even if you're technical, the emotion comes out, right? You, you allow that to happen. And I always you know, it's just a great thing about that genre of music. And when you hear someone like yourself, who's been influenced by blues and, you know, rock music. And when you see you hear you play live and you're doing things without a pick and you're playing, you're holding the note and you're bending the string and you're doing all this stuff. And it's like, wow, like that's his, that's him. That's his tone. Yep. That's his style. And then, you know, I go see buddy guy a month before and you hear him play and it's his style and his playing. Leilani Kilgore, who's a great up-and-coming blues artist from Nashville. Great.
2: She's
0: great. Yep. Fantastic guitar player. So, man, like, I love it. I I love. I always watch that. I always try to listen for that whenever I see someone play because I want to hear them. I want to hear what they're going through. And it always comes out on the guitar.
2: Yeah, and that's that's truly, too, what I love has, from the player side of it is a lot of people will think, you know, like guitar, like it's super competitive, like, oh, who's better? It's like, man, when we're talking like this, it's not, no one's better than anybody. It's whose vibe are you feeling or who's, you know, who's playing is touching you? Because to me, that's really what it comes down to. I've always said from the beginning, the most dangerous guitar players are the ones that can touch you with one note, or they can, they can play something on the guitar and you start to cry. Then you go, okay, something is. This is otherworldly, you know what I mean? There's, there's more than just notes on a guitar from a guitar string going through a speaker. This person is able to translate what they're feeling inside straight to you. And that is so powerful. And that's the best part for me too, about like when I found the blues and I found like, I remember I went to Walmart and it was like best of the blues. I was like, what is this? First song was Hoochie Coochie Man. Then it was uh Grits Saint Groceries and, uh, Hound Dog, Coco Taylor, and it was all these different songs. But when I heard it, I was like, man, this shit is so cool. Like, everyone has an attitude that, like, every song, like, like you felt it. Like, I didn't even know what the blues was, but I could feel, like, coming out of the little boombox speaker, I could feel it. So I started to play along to it. I was like, this is the shit, man. And then once we got to Spoonful by Howlin' Wolf, and then it was like, Damn right. I got the blues by buddy guy. I was like, okay, this is like, this is like music expression in one. This is like my therapy. I'm like 15 years old, man, trying to figure out these licks. And I'm like, and I, all my friends would go, well, don't you like, you know, like, what about Metallica and stuff? And no slight on those guys. But when I found the blues, it was like, this is the real deal. This is like, this is me talking through the guitar. And that was so cool.
0: It's a great genre of music because when you know the history it's it's basically it's it it comes from poverty you right. know it really does i mean when you think of like robert johnson you think of the old the old blues greats like the delta blues guys you know who you know were standing at the crossroads as the as the old fable says about robert johnson all that stuff is Yeah, these guys were living in shacks. They were living in, 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 in poverty. And, and this is what they had. And this is how they, they communicated their emotion back then. And then it just, you know, as, as the, the, you know, industrial growth of the country moved up north, you know, like guys like Buddy Guy and all them moved to Chicago and that became the Chicago blues. And it was a little different take on the Delta blues and, and, you know, all those blues greats that were playing in, in this city here in Chicago who, Sadly it passed on except for Buddy, you know, they 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 really were able to catch you know the old phrase catch lightning in a bottle and be able to inspire all these English greats who then added their take on the blues and it's such a beautiful story about the, of of the evolution of that to now present day with players like yourself or Tyler Bryant and other, you know, great young blues guitar players. It's remarkable how it seems like music, the industry wants blues to go away. Right. it It never will because it's so enriched in our history of our country. That's the other thing about blues is that it's so intertwined with who we are as because it's the only American art form that was created in America was right. the blues. So as much as you know the music industry seems to want to try to get away and you hear all these comments about blues is boring, which is I, I should do a show I should do a show on that statement because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's and and you know when you hear people like you know Adam Levine who say you know rock isn't is boring. It's not innovative anymore and then, you know, my question to that is, well, what's innovative? Are you talking pop music that everything is so layered in technology and auto totally. tuned and all that stuff and samples and everything? What's so innovative about that? That's not even real music anymore. And the lack of appreciation for it is a disturbing, but. You know, I had the magazine from from uh, GA 20, a great. Yep. Play, and, and he said that blues has a problem marketing itself. And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there is.
2: Yeah. It's really hard, too, because I feel like blues has been put into such a corner. Not by the players, even, but just by society, where it's like, okay, that's the blues. Just put it over there. You know what I mean? It's like, it's old. Like you said, it's boring. People, you know, it's safe. No one wants to listen to that anymore. But what what I feel like everyone won't look in the eye is the fact that blues will never die because it's the, it's the red, red lace and everything. Like, even when I listen to, you know, I'll sit with these people that are, that do pop and they'll hear me play the guitar. They'll, I'll hear them play something. And I'm like, that's a, that's a blues lick. Like it's, that is derivative of the blues, what you're playing, what you're singing. That's a, that's a blues run. So it's really funny how, The blues has gotten put into such back, shoved into the corner. But I just, I really do feel like, especially moving forward, like all of this music that is so computerized and so calculated, it's like humans, we've had so much of it that when you do get back to the simple truth of someone playing an instrument and singing, it's powerful. And even like, not to parlay it to the record, but that's why I even said on this record, I was like, I don't want a computer in the room. Like, let's just play the music. The, the, the computer isn't going to make the rock and roll. The, the computer isn't going to make me play better. What's going to make me play better is being in the moment, being a human, taking all of the music that I've I've been working on and just letting it come out. And I think that there is going to be a renaissance and a revival of that where it's like more people are going to want more truth in the in their music, regardless of what they listen to. Was that a different approach for you to not
0: have, you know, the, the computers in the room and just play? Was, was that different than the other albums that you've done, the other music that you've created?
2: It was because, you know, previous records that I've used different people that i would worked with, they felt more comfortable, you know, working in the box, basically in the computer and saying, okay, we're going to start with the drums. So the drummer would go in, he'd play his part. We'll put the bass. Okay, Jared, you can play guitar on it now. With this record, we said, no, we're going to set up like a live band. We're going to play it as if we're playing a live show and everything's just going to be strategically miked. So that was a total departure from anything I'd done before. It was kind of nerve wracking actually, because if someone screwed up, we had, we'd have to start over and tape is not cheap. So we were like, all right, man, we got to get this done. So it was definitely a departure, but it was definitely the most exciting time I've ever had in a studio. You
0: mentioned that this process started a few years ago, this this chapter, when you are writing music for an album and there's a long time in between the last album to recording to putting it out, how do you stay connected with that music?
2: Man, I just try and let it grow on its own. It's almost like I try not to get too ahead of the music. I try not to push it too hard because when there is that amount of time. It's like the last thing you want to do is say, okay, it's done. Or like, just let it kind of come up with the idea. Let it almost let things like fester. It's like, see where it goes. Then one day I'll pick it up. I'll I'll see how it feels. Or, you know, is this the right tempo? Is this the right groove? So I try not to take it too seriously. I just like to have a lot of ideas and say, all right, what do we feel about this one? What do we feel about this? Because I feel like whenever I've gotten too precious about songs or even a part of a song. It's like, I'm losing the overall what it is. It's like, it's almost like I'm letting my ego get in the way of the song. Cause sometimes it's like a good idea is a good idea. A bad idea is a bad idea. So I try and almost keep it more simple, keep it a little bit more stress-free. And like with the, with some of these songs, like I said, they were written in April and May of 2020. And now to have them realized 2020, 2021, 2022. I mean, we're shooting on like over three years, which is crazy.
0: You did release the EP Shadow Dancer, which had, you know, a handful of songs on it, three songs on it. Was all that recorded while you were pursuing this album, this new album?
2: That was recorded right, kind of in pursuance of the record, but we did not have all the material done for the record. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to release something and that was kind of like our – it was like a test to see how we liked recording in that way. That was the first time we went to the studio, basically set up, no computer, just went in like with an old tape machine and said, let's see how this sounds. So that was kind of our test to see if if we wanted to continue to do that. And we all kind of loved it. So then it was like once we had that in our mind, it was like, okay, cool. Now I want to build the record around this kind of sonic. And then that's where basically the next nine songs were written going in for that sound. What was it like being able to play the stuff live finally?
0: You know I know you did some you did some touring with with um Georgia Thunderbolts and Blackstone Cherry. Yep. What was it like though to finally be on stage and play the album and the songs?
2: It was weird. I mean, it was amazing the The first time we did it was in Nashville at our our album release show, and they, it was like it was like finally seeing it through. It was like uh it was like that moment where you're running through the slow motion do, 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 and they cut the line. you know, but like there was a few songs where I was so excited to play them live, and what was really cool too was like seeing people's reactions to the songs because a lot of a lot of these people they haven't heard these songs, of course, so we were like in real time, gauging what people were into. That was really cool. And what's what's really fun too is like starting the record with that song, My Delusion, and getting to that last song, Out of Time. It's like once I hit the first chords on that last song, it's like like I breathe. That's the, that's the part in the set where I'm like, okay, cool. We got it. It's really fun, man. It's a really, really fun experience. How do you, I know we talked about
0: the music and kind of getting out of that comfort zone. Does that really drive your evolution as an artist or is there other factors involved?
2: That's a big one. Other factors I would say are just always keeping my eyes and ears open, trying to soak up stuff like a sponge, man. Like I never want it to be like, this is what I listen to. This is the only thing I listen to. I don't want to make music that is different from it. You know, for me, it's really important to, always just kind of have my ear to the ground. And like, if I hear a cool band or I hear something that I'm like, what is this? You know, kind of take that and see if I can get any inspiration from it. And I mean, I love to put myself in uncomfortable situations to try and grow, especially if I'm like playing with musicians I've never played with, or like getting out of my element, playing weird stuff like old country or whatever. It's like, let's just see what happens. I think that's a really fresh kind of way to, continue to push yourself without being too like too stressful about it
0: that was my next question is you know are you still being influenced
2: for sure every day like man i'll I'll put on like i know it sounds funny but like even when i'm home like i'll put on like youtube and i'll just put on random old stuff like man i had hee-haw on this morning remember hee-haw yeah dude roy clark The way that guy plays the guitar, I'm sitting there watching and I'm just like, this is insane. So like, there I am. I grab my guitar. I start, how did he do that? What was that? What was that? So I try and find inspiration kind of in randomness. It's like, I'm not going to go and be like, okay, let me see if I can, you know, put on Stevie Ray Vaughan or this or that. It's like more like, like, I'll try and find something weird or off the wall and say, how do I, what was that? How did he do that? So I'm, I'm really... I really do try and keep my ears open and and still be inspired every day.
0: And those pickers, you know, when you, when you think of those guys, those rockabilly pickers and stuff like that, man, those guys can, I mean, what they do, I, I, you know, I can't even like comprehend how they're just doing that with their fingers. And it's insane. Yeah.
2: There's, there is some serious craziness in that old school country world. That's like, That their, their chops are just out of control. I love it.
0: For you, you don't play with a pick. How did you, how did that evolve? Was that always the way you played or was that, is Is it different?
2: Well, actually I'm a lefty, right? So everything I do is with my left hand, whether I'm writing. So when I first picked up a guitar, I was holding it like a lefty or like a lefty. So I remember I got a guitar lesson when I got my first electric guitar and the guy goes, dude, you have to flip the guitar. So I'm holding it like this, and he's like, "Yeah, this is this is the way you're going to want to play because you're not going to be able to find a lot of good left-handed guitars, you know. The uh, it's it's just going to be a lot easier for me to teach you, blah blah blah, right?" So I get this guitar and I'm holding it like this, and then he passes me a guitar pick and he's like, "Here, use this." So I'm sitting there and I'm like, "This sucks." So long story short, I set the guitar pick down. And I just start using my thumb. He's like, dude, that's not going to work. If you want to play electric, you've got to use a pick. I was like, yeah, but I like the way this feels. So I kept messing with it. I was messing with the pick. And I'd say about a year into playing, I just dropped the pick because I was like, I had no thought I was ever going to be like a guitar player in my life. So I was was rather like, man, I just want to play and have fun. And I love to feel the string underneath my fingers. So that's how it started. And then I just started to kind of mess around with it. And I was one of those kids that played guitar for like anywhere from six to 10 hours a day. So I would sit there and I would just do these little drills and, you know, kind of work up Hendrix or different stuff with my fingers. And after a while, it was just like, it came comfortable. So whenever I'd go to figure something out, I'd go, okay, you're playing it like that. I'm just going to flip my fingers like this. So I was using thumb, index, middle ring, and I was able to figure it out. And <clears throat> years later, when I moved to L.A., people were saying, oh, you're that no pick guy. And I'm like, what? Like, I never never thought it was going to be a thing. So something that was unique to me that I just did because it felt right became one of those kind of things about my style that started, that was sticking out. And it's pretty cool because now, you know, I feel like the way that I play, it's so me, like it's me and the guitar and there's such a connection that I'm so glad that I never used a pick. And I just did what I wanted to do.
0: I've got a great idea for a tour, the no-pick tour. You and Kotzen.
2: Well, I, I have been talking to them about doing some winery dogs, so so let's see what happens.
0: That would be great. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, when I saw him play without a pick, I'm like, what is going on? And then I saw you play without a pick, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Crazy, <laughs> was, right? It is It is. It's crazy, but it's also very. Listen, you. Any guitar player is artistic, but I just feel like there's there's a lot more, as you said, truth to the artist to the artistry of it when it's just there's no separation between your fingers and the strings. There's nothing. It's just seriously.
2: Going back to the blues too, it was like I heard Albert King, and then I heard like Hubert Sumlin, and I'd hear you know. Jeff Beck, I hear these people play without a pick, and there was like something a little bit Otis Rush. There was this weird. It was like more human sounding. It was like it, when they bend a string, it sounded more like a voice, and I just love that. So I automatically I was drawn to that, and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, this is what I'm gonna do.
0: With this album being out, and you know, you're playing the songs, and, and now you're you're you know, you've reached that end of that part of the journey right when you think back of the collective of songs that you the collection of songs that you put on this album what were what were some of the songs that you struggled with what were the some of the songs that just came out with ease
2: the ones that i struggled with uh a lot a lot of the songs i was writing at home so i would be on an acoustic guitar right and i'd have chords I'd be strumming chords, singing along. And when I would bring those into the band in a three-piece setting, rock and roll, high energy, it would be like, okay, how are we going to work this out? This is a cool song, but how is it going to work? So like the 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 one that was really tough was Sane or Fool because that song was a super strummy acoustic ballad. And when I brought it into our producer, Eddie Spear, he goes, yeah, it's cool, but it's just it's just a ballad. Like it's not really – there's nothing special about it. So I'm like, okay. He goes, it's just boring. He's like, bring bring something extra to it. And he's really good at piano. So he sits down and he goes, start singing it. And he plays these three chords, just like descending. So I start singing over it. And he's like, that's cool. He, he hits Dennis, the drummer. He goes, play like a breakbeat over that. So next thing you know, they have this thing going on. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now this is like a totally different song. The only thing that's the same is like the melody in the, in vo- the words. So there were a few songs like Sainter Fool. I would say, Oh, hallelujah, which is super heavy on the record. Love that song, dude, that song started as like a funky blues ballad. And it had like a total different vibe. It was kind of like almost a feel good song. And yet again, we, we started to play it. We all kind of looked at each other with that look and we were like, it's good, but it, it's not working. And and I'll never forget Eddie, our producer. He goes, man, people need to bring more evil back to the blues. They need to bring more evil back to rock and roll. He's like, play it like it means something. So here comes down and down, you know. So we come up with this heavy, crazy riff. And yet again, it was another thing where it just felt so good in the moment that we went for it. And that was really cool. And then there were other songs like My Delusion. Like that song, I think... We only only tracked it twice. And we took the second one because it was really, really on. There were songs like Skin and Bone, even songs like Out of Time. Like We didn't have to work on them. They just kind of came out, which was really nice because we were all in the same wavelength. We had the parts. We felt good. And then it was like, let's just be in the moment and let the song kind of just take it where it wants. And that was really cool. When
0: you find that, that magic moment when everything clicks with a song, right? And because you've been trying to figure out the right approach or the you know the lyric or whatever. And you have someone in there, or the producer, who's telling you, like you said, and it's boring. How what's your reaction to something like that? I I know with the with the the growth of streaming and being able to put a song out there. Anyone can put a song out there, which is on one, right. hand, one hand, great. On the other hand, not so great. And a lot of times, when you hear music from new artists, you know you 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 hear that it needs more work. But unfortunately, they have the wrong people in the room with them right. that are telling them how great it is. Oh yeah, of course. How, is that important for you to find that voice, even though you don't want to hear it, because it you know it it can it. it it shocks the ego a little bit, you know, but, but you have to know as an artist and, and who you are that it's better for you. Right.
2: If it's someone that I really respect and um like with Eddie, like, like he had, he's worked on so many cool records, like everything from Chris Stapleton to Sturgill Simpson, to the rival sons to slash, like he's been a part of so many cool things that I loved. So when he would tell me that I would go, okay, but I would always, bring it bring back to it like what do you got like it's almost like okay shoot down my idea but like what's your idea so it it is like a hit to the ego but when i feel like when you're working with someone that you truly trust you should be able to have that communication because if you almost have to walk on eggshells around someone that you're really trying to work with man that's frustrating like if, if someone can't do a part like let's say like someone can't play the bass part and you're like Dude, this isn't working. Like, I feel like you have to have that mentality as a team to say, okay, this works. This sucks. This is great. And that's the easiest way to kind of get stuff done. So, with a guy like Eddie, when he would say that, of course, I'd be like, oh, damn it. But, but I'd say, well, what do you got? Most of the time, he'd come up with something that was just so cool. And I'd be like, I would have never thought of that. And then it brings such a different element to what we're doing. And it's just, it's it's kind of a cool thing that it's almost organically that it just pops out of nowhere, and it can take you on a completely different avenue, which can in turn make the song awesome.
0: Yeah, I've always wondered what you know reactions are. You know, I've I've talked to different you know artists in interviews, and and it's always interesting to see what the reaction is of of their relationship with their producer. Because you know it, it's a rocky journey when you're when you're oh, holding yeah. up in, in a in a studio and you know you're you you've sweated over these songs before you bring them in and you've demoed them and you've you figure you've got something and then someone says that needs more that's uh, boring that's not good it sucks and I think what makes a great artist obviously is the talent and obviously is is the the ability to create but also the uh, the ability to understand. What needs more and to listen to the right people, you know, I mean, I think that's it's, it's uh, that's so much so important to the growth of you or growth of an artist.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they they'll they'll quit too soon. Like if they get some bad feedback, they'll say, oh, and they'll just kind of bubble it down inside and they'll just be pissed off. But the reality is, like, there's many times I've worked on stuff or worked with people and they've gone, this sucks. And and in turn, I'll say, okay, cool. I'll look back at myself and say, what, what sucked to them? Or, you know, how do I, how do I take like a very unfortunate situation and kind of twist it to see where I can grow in it? And I think that, you know, going back to the start of this conversation about chapters, it's like, this is just another chapter in learning how to grow and learning how to express myself more directly because there's many times I'd work with producers And I'd want to say something, but I couldn't get it out, or I didn't know how to get it out right. So it's like every chapter is just an evolution of expression. I think that's a good way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I I always, you know, in, in my life, whenever someone says that I've done something that wasn't very good or it sucked, I get like pissed and I want to prove that it didn't right? I want to be like, you know what? All right. right. It's that sucks. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this and it's not going to suck. And you're going to love it. You know, And I I focus everything about that, that moment. And I just, just get so motivated because no one likes to be told what they're doing sucks.
2: Of course. And there's a lot of fuel to that fire. That's really, really good. So like, there's been many times that people would say some stuff and, you know, maybe they'd be like, Oh yeah, Jared, he's just a guitar player. You know, he's just a, you know, it's like, I have more to say than that so I would use that as fuel to the fire to write songs to to push even harder to speak who I am as an artist. It's it's a really really healthy thing to have that.
0: What's next for you? You you mentioned that you're going to Europe tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow
2: morning, yeah. It's been the first time in 3 years I'm so excited. We'll be in Europe for about 3 weeks. We're doing like a whole promotional tour. Then we're flying straight back to Las Vegas. To play in Vegas at some like radio convention, which is going to be cool, so I'm gone about the the rest of the month I think until the beginning of March, and then we're gonna hit the states again man so it's it's kind of like it's like all all the gates are gone it's like we're just going now, so it's it's really exciting
0: what are some of the tour plans?
2: Well, some of the tour plans right now, like I said, we're headlining uh, a bunch of promotional stuff across Europe, but then we're talking about coming back and it's really cool. I've never really done this. We're going to do like little runs. So we're talking East coast at the beginning of March. Second week, we're going to go Midwest third week. We're doing a Southwest run Then we're going to do a West coast run. And then we were even talking about linking up with the winery dogs, doing some shows with them, going to play a few festivals, playing some shows with Skinnard. There's a ton of stuff on the horizon, man. That's awesome. All between now and, and, and basically I think the end of May
0: last question for you. In terms of your music and your career, are you okay with where you're at in your career? Not saying that, you know, this is the height of it. But at this stage, are you okay where you're at with, with everything?
2: I think I am. And it's it's weird to say that. It truly is. I feel like I just got this weight off of my shoulders by getting this record out. So it was like this, it was almost like I was carrying this for the past three years. And now it's like, I kind of just pushed it out. And now it's like, okay, cool. Now I can go and I can play these songs and I can express myself. And the cool part about it is too, is the reception's been really great. So I can tell that people are really interested. People are excited about the record, the way it sounds, the way it feels, which to me, I mean, it, it makes me feel like, like it's validated. It's like, okay, cool. I'm really glad I pushed to get this record out, came out the way it did. So I'd have to say yes, but now there's going to be that other crazy part of me that goes, what's next? Where do I push to next? What, what am I going to do next to kind of take it? Well, not take it over the top, but what's the next, next mountain to climb? So
0: the next journey, the next chapter needs to be
2: written, right? Exactly, but it's it's really fun, and like I said, I'm I'm just having a blast being able to play these songs live, and and honestly, just being able to play live, like it just
0: feels good. Yeah, I know you uh, did an encore of Crossroads with Pete Dankelson from Pete's Diary in Chicago. Yeah. That was great to see online, man. That was awesome. That looked like a lot of fun.
2: Dude, Pete's the best. We we had such a blast, and like like I hit him up. I was like, dude, I'm playing in Chicago. Come jam with me. And I couldn't make it for sound check. So Pete came down and jammed with the band. Pete's such a great little like he's so good. And he's so like playing with him is inspiring. Because after that I was like, oh yeah, now now I'm all fired up. So much fun.
0: Yeah, he's a blast, man. I've I've seen his band play a couple of times and they're fantastic. And his EP that he put out last year was just great too, as well. So all screwed up. Yeah. yeah. Good. Fantastic. Well, hey man, it's been fantastic talking with you and Dude, thanks man, so much. I, I, I always enjoy when you're on the show, and I can't wait to see you next time you come through Chicago. Um, look forward to it. And, man, love the album. Continue you, success with it. And, uh, man, see you on the road soon.
2: Dude, thanks for all the great questions, and thanks for just a great conversation, man.
0: Always, man. Well, hey, you're a part of it just as much as I am, so thank you for the conversation. Cheers. Can't wait to be back, dude. Absolutely. Everyone, that is Jared James Nichols. I am Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks. Thanks for tuning in. Check out his album, uh, the self-titled album that just came out in January. He's on the, all the socials. Just search up Jared James Nichols. You can find it in all the streaming service, but go buy the physical copy. Go buy the album. Go buy the CD, whatever. Um, I know he's got the vinyl on sale at his shows um as well. And I bought the CD and the and the vinyl. Um you rule bro and i am i am i am a better person for it and you can (laughs) do it so go check it out all right everyone take care of each other stay safe we will talk soon thank you